Hey everybody, welcome to Grounding Our Faith. In this podcast, we strive to make plain topics in the Bible, theology, and faith. In a world continually offering bizarre ideas, fighting for our attention and our allegiance, it's important now, maybe more than ever, to know what you believe and why you believe it. I'm your host, Paul Tacey, and this is Grounding Our Faith. Welcome to Grounding Our Faith. In this podcast, we strive to make plain topics in the Bible, theology, and faith. In a world continually offering bizarre ideas, fighting for our attention and our allegiance, it's important now, maybe more than ever, to know what you believe and why you believe it. I'm your host, Paul Tacey, and this is Grounding Our Faith. Well, good morning, friends, and welcome back to our Holy Week devotional series. We trust it has been a blessing to you. Today is Holy Thursday, uh, sometimes also referred to as Maundy Thursday. This morning, Jacob Lester, our youth director, is going to be sharing with us a devotional on a teaching of Jesus out of chapter 13, um, with Jesus having his final meal with his disciples in the upper room. Hello, my name is Jacob Lester. I'm the youth director here at Grace Community Church, and I'm so excited for us to look at God's Word together. And maybe, just maybe, we can become a little more like Jesus from looking at the heart of the one whom we have great hope in. If you have a Bible nearby, go ahead and flip to John 13, or if you're mowing your lawn or driving, don't do that. I'll read it for us in just a second. Today is Maundy Thursday. Before we jump into today's passage, what is Maundy Thursday? Typically, we refer to that as the night before Jesus' crucifixion. It's difficult to be sure, but most church historians think that the word Maundy is derived from the Latin translation of Jesus' words spoken that night, found in John 13, 34, a new commandment. So today, over 2,000 years ago, was the first Maundy Thursday. The, do, the day of the new covenant. So what, what is this new covenant? And that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's look to John 13. Before we get to this new covenant, here's a 30,000 foot view of what has happened so far. Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he loved those who were his to the end. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He displays sacrificial love a picture of what he would soon do in perfect submission to the Father, even for the one who in just a short while would betray him. When Judas left, the arrest, trial, and execution of Christ were put into motion. As heartbreaking as that is, the betrayal of a friend, this is also the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. And even though Judas was sold out to Satan, Judas had no recourse but to obey the word of Jesus, that what you are going to do, do quickly. So Judas leaves to commit the sin that would lead to the Messiah being crucified. Judas has left, so now let's look at John 13, 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. 
and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This new command that you love one another just as I have loved you is simple enough for a child to memorize and difficult enough that even the maturest of believers are embarrassed at how often they don't understand it and don't put it into practice. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Christ's love is the standard here. We regularly don't love each other as we ought to. The more we recognize the depth of our own sin and lack of love, the more we recognize the love of our Savior. This commandment is not a suggestion. It is presented as the marching order for Christ's bride, the church. The new command is not only the obligation of the church, but it is also a privilege that when lived out, puts God on display before a watching world. That's why Jesus ends with the words, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what, what are we to do with this new commandment? Loving one another, biblically loving one another is inconvenient, but beautiful and necessary. Don't feel obligated to grab a bowl of water and kneel before your dinner guests to wash their feet. That, that's no longer our custom, but make it your aim to love your fellow Christians as Jesus has loved you. Let's not just imitate Christ's love, but participate in it. Love with no expectation of return. So, Grace, in the life of our church, this is what Jesus is calling for among us. Just as I have loved you, that you, Grace, love one another. So let's go low in foot-washing-like service to one another. Let's lay down our lives and our privileges for one another. Love your brothers and sisters who have differing theological views. Love the weakest and the oldest and youngest. Love the hurting and the lonely. Oh, how beautiful it would be for God to receive the glory from his children if they would love as Christ has loved. This is our prayer, God, that grace would be a church marked by sacrificial love for one another. Let it be. So go in peace and love one another as Jesus has loved you. God, thank you for your word that is so true that Christ has loved us so much. We are so undeserving of it. But our overflow of experiencing and being recipients of your son's love, God, may we pour this out to one another. May we be a church, a people who are marked by sacrificial love because you have first loved us. God, thank you for your son and what he did for us. We look forward to 
to Sunday celebrating his resurrection. In your name we pray, amen.